want you to take a, t- a minute to notice the uh, title to the sermon here. The end of the week. The end of the week. I want you to know that that is not misspelled. The week is not misspelled. Okay. Praise the Lord. Let's uh, turn to our Bibles in Exodus chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Um, don't, don't let it fool you. Just because the scripture's up there doesn't mean I don't want you to turn there in your Bibles. So if you will, please turn to your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3. This is the story of Moses. You know, there's a lot we can learn from Moses. The narratives of the Bible are so powerful because they actually give us realistic stories of people whose lives and dealings with God are different. And not only that, but their failures are different. Um, David's failures with God, and and, uh, is it not loud enough for you? i got somebody in the audience that's here helping me. So let me know if... Can everybody in the back hear me? (laughs) So... uh, so the failures are different as well, and, but that's so important because all of us have a sense of the entrapment of our human nature, so we feel like we have the tendency to fail more than we do to succeed at times. But this is really important because as we look at the life of Moses, we will see, even though in a very unprecedented way, God actually took Moses' life and did things that were so miraculous that even us today, we would struggle to believe. But that being said, I want to read each verse in light of what is said in the Bible. So let's look at Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read the first part is in 3 through 4. And it says this. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, And he said, here I am. So this is just relating to the middle of the story where Moses was in the backside of the wilderness and he was running away from being uh, from Egypt, from Pharaoh, because Pharaoh was going to kill him. And uh, so he runs away and he ends up here at the backside of the wilderness. And along his path, he sees somewhere in this wilderness a bush that's burning. But what caught his attention was the fact that this bush was burning but it wasn't, it wasn't being consumed by the fire. And I don't know about you, but if I saw a bush that I stood there long enough to realize this thing isn't being consumed by the fire, I definitely want to go and analyze this. And I would turn aside from whatever I was doing and go ahead and go see this. Now, there's many times, most of us, we've seen bushes burn, but we've never seen one burn and not get consumed. What I want you to think about is this, is that God is always doing things to call our attention. I don't know if you're realizing it. Sometimes there's burning bushes, as it were, around us, but we're not paying close enough attention. I'm busy. I got things to do, consumed. How many of you live life where you say, I'm busy all the time? Just constantly, go, go, go. Well, there's burning bushes in the middle of your busyness, whether you realize it or not. So God is doing things to get our attention. But the things that matter the most are the ones that you finally capture, the ones that I realized this was God at work to try and get my attention. And that's powerful because God wants to get your attention, each of us individually. And and that's meaningful because we realize the God of the cosmos and the God who created the world, why would he look at me? A psalm was devoted and says this, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you take knowledge of him? I fit myself into that picture. What is James's life, in the totality of life, in the midst of all the people of the world, why would God single me out? Lovely that God is omnipotent enough to single every one of us out, give us individual His focus, and work His way into every one of our lives. Sadly, I would say this. So many people aren't capturing it. So many people aren't recognizing what God is trying to do to get a hold of their life. Years spent. So much life of regret, remembering the past, if I wish this never happened. If I could do life all over again, I would have never done that again. But we can't go back to. I've often thought about the individuals that I've prayed for and realized that probably one of the gripping problems of their life and the struggles that they're going through is the thought that now the majority of my years have been spent. And now I have what, who knows what the lapse of life I have left, but not much in compared to what I have lived. And so the despondency gets a hold of their heart And they feel like, well, what's the use? What's the use of doing anything more with my life now? I've wasted so much of it. I've lost so many opportunities. And they're missing the fact that God never quits. God never quits. 
Yes, you've quit on yourself. You've given up on people that, that you don't feel like are worthy of it or whatever the case, but God never quits. God is always doing things to get our attention. I want you to be well aware of that right now. I, I want to, While I'm preaching, I want you to reflect on how good God has been. I can go back through my life and think about you know, all the times, as I've shared before, my dad driving drunk down the road, and how many times I think about it, I remember feeling like at any moment he was going to go off the, off the edge of the road or he was going to drive into somebody in traffic. And how many of us heard the stories of somebody who was caught in one of those situations? And I wasn't. Somehow my life, I felt like, was miraculously spared for the goodness of God. And, you know, I never realized, because of all the depression wrapped around my life, I never realized how good God was to me until later on. I realized all of these struggles I went through, if it hadn't been for His hand, I would have died then, and I would have died before that time. And so many opportunities and situations for me to have missed what God's plan was for my life, and yet He spared me so often. So now I just get to go through now every day of my life thanking Him for all the goodness that He showed to me and the the parts of it that I haven't even got to see yet. God sees and responds when we turn aside. I don't know about how what your prayer life looks like. I don't know how often you ask God to get into your life. I don't know if it's just a dinner table time of prayer or if it's like I really seriously get to business with God. I spend an hour alone with the Lord every day. I don't know if you're that person. I don't know where we're at individually here or whoever may be listening to me. But I would say this. Whenever you turn aside, God wants to respond. Sometimes we only give Him five minutes. And that means it's almost like saying, God you got five minutes to fit the gap. I don't know about you, but i got a bigger gap in my life. i got a huge gap in my life. Lord, I want you to fit a whole lot more than that. And even when I feel satisfied, I have this great, this great feeling that as if God is so omnipotent that there's nothing that He's done already that can't be eclipsed by something He can do more. I'm looking for a greater eclipse from an omnipotent God who's able to do far more than He has. So if you're satisfied with the Lord, let's get out of that and get more where we're hungry for more of Jesus in our life. So Moses was in this position where the struggle that he was going through, I don't know if that's really a part of his turning aside or if that had anything to do with it. Or if he was just mesmerized by this bush that was burning and that he couldn't help but want to see it. It's like fireworks going off and you're wondering why. And so here he is, and he finds his way before God. But then while he's there, God does something. Like I said, God wants to respond. He doesn't want your life to be absence of his voice and direction and what he wants to do. Come now, therefore, in so I'm sorry, let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. I'm getting ahead of myself, or ahead of you. I'm here, you're just not necessarily. So if you're already in Exodus chapter 3, it's just moving down to verse 10. It says, and come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, you, to help you understand, this has got to be the greatest absurdity of his life because he just left Egypt, and that's where all the people of Israel are. And he's leaving there because he's under the threat of Pharaoh, the greatest man in Egypt. And Pharaoh wants to find Moses and kill him and and God is saying to Moses I want you to go back to where you're running from and you're going to go not only going to go there and and secretly you're not going to be secret you're going to actually go there and you're going to bring my people out of Egypt now I think that's wonderful because here's the thing they were in slavery how many of you would volunteer to help people out of slavery If I could help somebody out of slavery, I would love to do that. The thought of somebody being a slave just doesn't make sense. So if I can be there to stop that. But what is is Moses, one man, compared to a whole army backing Pharaoh? God calls Moses for the deliverance of his people, though he lacks natural qualifications. He lacks so many other pieces to it, and yet God calls him to do that. And I'm just going to tell you, I just surrender to the fact that this is what the Bible says. This is an historical fact now being made known to us. So we're not just getting inspiration from something that's a story. We're getting inspiration from a fact that happened. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go, so what I say that, to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? That's verse 11. 
that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Notice that God addresses the conflict between his language and his intent. So there's one side that says, who am I? But the intent of Moses, it seems to be, as we continue to read the story, the intent of Moses is to continue to miss, to basically tell God no. There's too many disadvantages to this whole thing. There's too many risks, too many possibilities that this isn't going to work out. Now notice it's God that's speaking to him, but for some reason Moses is not convinced that God is going to be able to do everything that God can do. So there's a conflict in the intent of his heart. This is where our weakness comes from. We talk about being human. It's as if just being human is in its own self a proportion of weakness. But when you really get down to it, the greatest weakness is it's not human. It's the human will. It's the will of a person who's decidedly, when every advantage is given to you, every opportunity is out there, when, the, when Jesus says, if you will believe, you would see the glory of God. Just trust me in the middle of this. And yet in our will, our broken human will, we find a way to still have resistance to somebody who's far more capable of fulfilling it than we could ever dream. If I could remove from you the idea that whatever obstacle in life that either yourself or somebody else is going for, that God has the answer for, if I could give you an absolute certainty of it, I would still find resistance at the end of that road because there's something packed into the will of man and just in our own hearts that's a willfulness to rebel even when we have all odds are in our favor. And essentially, that's what Moses had. He had every odd in his favor, but he just couldn't see it from God's perspective. You'll notice also that Moses' immediate response was not one that showed a readiness to obey. Now, I'd, I'd say this. If, the, if, it was any other per, if it was a person and they told me to go do it, I might feel like I might not feel compelled to obey. But if this is God, why wouldn't we feel compelled to obey? And so there's this unique feeling that we get when we read this. Of, it feels like me. There's a side to me that fits the story of Moses that there's a part of me that says, even though God is the one speaking, even if God would speak to me, he, Jesus said to a crowd of people, to a man who said, Lord, uh, I don't want my family to be lost forever, so go and send somebody from the dead that they may speak about this. And Jesus said, even though one came from the dead, still they wouldn't believe. In other words, there's something sealed in the heart of humanity that still keeps them from believing, even though they have absolute proof. Even if they could be given absolute proof, they still wouldn't believe. We'll also notice how Moses was placing the burdens of his weakness above God's call. Now, here's the thing. I think of it like this. If God is calling us, if God is saying something to us, Individually, he is probably saying something to all of us in this room. The fact that he's saying it, isn't that enough to tell us that if he's telling us something that we feel like I'm too weak to do, I don't feel strong enough, I don't feel capable enough to do it, don't you think that God already knows that business? <laughs> like He's already in on that. It's not like, oh, you know what, I, that escaped my mind. I didn't realize that you, you had those weaknesses. I'll just go next door. But really, that's the attitude that we give to him when we, we, we rise and when we talk to God and tell him why we can't do what he tells us to do. So some of us will find ourselves in situations where the need to forgive somebody of an offense or something they've done to you in the past was so difficult, so destructive. Maybe it's the need to be able to work out a situation with somebody or forgive somebody who's done something to somebody you love. Most of us could say, you could hurt me, but if you touch them, I won't have anything to do with you. And so that bitterness has gotten such a part of life that God is actually telling you, you need to let go of it, and yet you can't because you feel too weak. When you think of the situation, when you draw it out in your mind, you consider all options on board, and you're like, I won't, I can't, absolutely not. Under these conditions, I won't. I would forgive under all other conditions, but this one I won't. Yet God knew before he told you that, that not only would he supply the grace you needed, the strength you needed, but he'd also help you understand along the path why this is so important. It may not make sense in the moment, but it will later on. It will later on. You also notice that Moses never moved an inch while justifying his excuses. Excuses stop us from moving forward with God. 
And why am I going to say that? Because whether we realize it or not, I would say this, that the struggle oftentimes when God wants to do something and He wants to liberate, like we want, He wants to give us brand new life, hope like we've never known before, joy that we've never even experienced up to this day. God wants to take and give you an avenue of peace and freedom that's never been known. But while you hold on to an excuse not to follow in His direction, you're never going to move an inch in the direction God has. Now think about this. God is so omnipotent, and this is the struggle that humanity has. Why doesn't God do more things? Why doesn't God stop the evil that happens? Because He's limited that, in a sense, to the fact that He's given you free will. If He had made us any different, He would have had to create us as robots. We would have had to just do what it was required of us without any voluntary construction to it. We would have been have to do it. We wouldn't get to do it. We wouldn't choose to do it. And so when you leave it like that, there has to be an opening for bad things to happen, as it were. And so oftentimes bad things continue to happen in our lives because while God is trying to move us in a certain direction, while God is trying to take us somewhere that's going to lead us into freedom and hope, lead us out of the paths that we've gone to, lead us out of the bitterness that we have constructed in our minds, we can't get there because we're not willing to take the first step that Jesus gave to us. I want you to think about Peter in the boat. Jesus was out on the water, and Jesus didn't tell Peter to come out of the boat. Peter looked at Jesus walking on water, and he said, Lord, if you will, bid me out on the water. And Jesus said to him, go ahead and come. Now, what we remember about that story is that Peter was the only disciple out of 12 that stepped out of the boat that day. But Peter dared to step out of the boat, meaning that he was trusting Jesus on something that was absolutely impossible in the natural. He trusted Jesus in that. And then he stepped out in the water. And did he walk on water? Yes. Now what's interesting about that is he didn't just walk on water. He also sunk down into the water. And Jesus picked him back up. But the, the interesting piece of this is, is that Peter, with his faith and his failure, found out how faithful Jesus was because he stepped out on the water. Because he trusted that Jesus was more than just a man. He trusted that Jesus was God in flesh and that when he said something, it would happen even if every other, every other thing would be impossible otherwise. As a church, we are called to bring them out of the world. What we're really saying is we're, we're called to help people find their way in the struggles of life to find the will of God in the middle of it. To find the will of God as that. So today as we were getting ready to pray, I heard a number of us having tears, struggles about things because they're difficult things, aren't they? They're hard. And the reason of that is God has an answer in the middle of that, but we're struggling on the human element of it. So we're called as a church to help people through those things. So when you're going through your struggle and I'm going through mine, and I've had to share this with a number of guys because here's what happened. I want to share something with you. This, these are some men, not ladies, but these are men um, that have shared with me personally certain struggles and how this is a difficulty for them. And you know, all I could do was I want to encourage them. But one of the encouraging things I said was this. I said, I need you to encourage me because I'm going to find myself in a boat of struggle too. And I need your encouragement. So I need you to work through this so that you can be my encouragement. And you know what I find fascinating is this. I find it fascinating to find that in my brothers, a willingness to encourage me when I'm going through a struggle and almost miss what they're telling me when they're going through their struggle. But I do the exact same thing. I do the same thing with other people. So what I realized is this, is that we all have blind spots. And we need one another to help us see that. So as a church, we're called to help each other. And whether you're, you're like, I'm a, I'm a strong believer. I'm a firm Christian. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian in theory, but I'm not a Christian in practice. I don't know where we're at in that, but we still need one another. We still need one another in this life. And I'm always amazed, like when Sunday wraps around, and over time and time again, how many of us are here? Because we need one another. 
That's the reality of it. I need one another. The reason why we create fellowships, even if, and I'll tell you this, we create fellowships even if only one person comes. And the reason why we do that is because I realize we need one another. And even if people aren't showing up, we still need each other. We still need that factor in life. So when we start getting the reality of we need people in life and we need God together. I've watched people literally do this. Somebody's become hardened because a Christian did something that was hurtful to them. And I will not take away from that. But I will say this. They never found the healing of what Jesus can do. I want you to keep investing your life even when you've been hurt by other Christians. Why do I say that? Because not every Christian is going to hurt you. That was them, but that is not me. And nobody likes to be, nobody likes to be stereotyped. <coughs> Judge me for me. And when you find weaknesses in me, I will find them in you. But what I'm looking for is not that we, we surrender to everybody's weakness, but we learn to love one another and help each other grow in God. So the end of the week, the end of the week, I see this when God does something very special. The end of the week is not the hope that Moses got through others. The end of the week was what God did to Moses. I want you to look in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. So I'm getting you prepped for it. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? I think that's a reasonable question. God, if you're really sending me to do this, then what am I going to say when I get there? What do you want me to tell them? Moses asked, and God gave him the answers. So as we continue to read, we'll find that God gave him the answers. But I want to share a few things before I get to that spot, and it's this. We can end our struggle of weakness by asking the right questions. Sometimes we're asking the wrong questions, and that's not going to help us. But when we ask the right questions of God, God will give us the right answers. Nobody else has the right answer. So here's a few of the questions we can ask. Lord, am I seeking comfort above correction? Here's the second one. Lord, when I am challenged by others, am I defensive? And the reason I say that and I bring that up is because I find oftentimes when somebody is challenging me and I don't like it, I become immediately defensive, but I miss the fact that there might be truth in what I'm being defensive about. And I have to ask, am I honest enough to separate from what I feel like your motives or how this came about and find out if you're actually saying something honestly or truly to me? So am I immediately defensive? A third one is, Lord, do I grieve the Holy Spirit because I refuse to do anything that would make me uncomfortable? I refuse to do something that would make me uncomfortable. And then here's some of the things we hear often. Does it, fit, it doesn't fit my personality. So how many of you today would raise your hand and say, I would feel comfortable to get up front like you are and share a sermon with a group of people in front of me? How many of you would say, I feel comfortable with that? Keep your hands up because I'm going to write your names down here. There's a lot of people who don't because you're like, I feel like that doesn't fit my personality. Or I feel like uh, I would be, I just I struggle with the idea of being around other people but, or speaking in front of an audience of people. I hate rejection. So do I. It's just not me. Someone else is better at that than I am. How many of you decided not to do something in your life because you knew somebody else was better than you? And you know, God never decides. God never makes his decision about what he's going to have you do because you're qualified for it. When I first started working in, in landscaping and doing uh, sprinkler systems, I was not qualified to do them. I was not hired because I had the qualifications. I was hired because they looked at me and they said, you're young enough. And you look strong enough to dig ditches and put dirt back and forth. That's good enough for now. And maybe along the process you'll learn something and you'll become better at that. I was not, I was not hired for qualifications. But as time lapsed, I became well qualified for the job. And I was professional at what I did. Now, because we do that with things in the world, let's start doing that with Lord, what, do you, what, do I, what am I afraid of but that you would call me to do today? 
Some people, I hear this often, they say, I'm afraid to pray out loud. I don't like to pray out loud. I don't like to pray in an audience of people. This is no different than it is to get the first time to be able to speak in an audience like this. The cool thing is, is that when you get to pray in front of an audience of people, you get to do this. I don't have to look at you while I'm praying. I don't have to see what your, your faces are doing or any like thing like that. I don't have to worry about if you're falling asleep while I'm praying. I can just close my eyes and pray. So at least you have that, right? But what I'm saying is this, is step out and let God trust him to do it. Let go of the things that are uncomfortable to you and watch God do miracles through your life. Through your life. And then he equips you for what he calls you for. You may, it may take a little while, but you'll be fully equipped for it. Here's the last one. How often do I ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit? And is that becoming normal? Has God been prompting me and I've been getting used to ignoring Him? I want to say this because I want you to hear this from me. You can ignore God. You can ignore God. And some of us think, whoa, wait a second. The God that made everything, that created the whole universe, you mean I can ignore Him? Yes. He's left himself to the ability of us to ignore him. Does he want you to? No. Is that his will for you to? No. But that's the reason why the world is in the condition that it is, is because it has ignored the voice of God. One, God, we've ignored the voice of God when it comes to morals. We've ignored the voice of God when it comes to entertainment. We've ignored the voice of God when it comes to marriage. In relationships, we've ignored the voice of God. But when are you going to quit ignoring the voice of God and know the one who created you knows how to adapt you to life better than you do? And we can quit leading our own, charting our own course and trying to figure out how, why do we keep in, in and up in storms and messes? Well, because you keep charting your own course, ignoring God. So here's a few things that God did to end the weakness in, in Moses. And he does it in us too. While we were worshiping, I felt like there's this inner voice. There's the power of God that spirit to spirit, God is able to minister to us. And you know things, just like in a dream. You can't quite describe it, but in a dream, how come you can have a dream and you know what day it was, you know who was in that dream, that you never saw them in the dream, but you knew that they were there. And God can communicate to our spirit in a very similar way. I, don't, I didn't hear anything audible, but I know that he's speaking to my heart. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, and he says this. So he said, I will certainly be with you. So Moses is like, God, I'm not sure if I can go. And God says, I will certainly be with you. This shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then I want you to look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Now what is this? What are you hearing in that? Because this is what I'm hearing. Moses, Moses, it's about me. It's about me. So do you trust me enough to know that I'm not going to fail you? Do you trust me enough to know that even though this doesn't look like it's going to work out. Do you know that I, I'm not calling you to do it to watch you fail? Moses was unnecessarily delayed because he wasn't fully embracing the answers God was giving him. Now, I don't know about you, but I would say this. Would you say that it would be convincing enough if you saw, stood in front and you saw the miracle of a bush that was burning and it wasn't being consumed, and then you had God speak to you audibly out of that bush and tell you to do certain things. And then you asked him, Lord, how will I know? And he says, I will just be with you. And I am who I am. Just, it's me. It's all about me. How many of you would be convinced to go ahead and go ahead and do it? I think I would. But when I read the story of Moses, it makes me step back and say, wait a second. I don't think that Moses was a less qualified man than I am. I don't think he was possessed with less or less human traits or less uh, human finiteness than I am. So why didn't he? And then I have to ask myself the question, am I in his shoes and don't even realize it? But God does this to help us get over our human weakness is he speaks to us. 
He elevates his perspective in the world we're living in. And we need it. So some of us have been so confirmed to prayer because we realize that's one place we get the God's voice in our life is we get to know what the Lord is saying to us. When you seek the Lord, look to him for the right answers. Moses was unnecessarily delayed. Sorry. The truth, the truth is the greater the gap, the greater the consequence. So Moses heard from God, but there was a gap between when God spoke and when Moses obeyed. And the shorter that gap, the better it is for us. The longer the gap, the more risky it is and the more danger we fall into. So we've got to realize that it's not only paramount that we hear from the Lord, but it is paramount that when we get to hear from God, we don't create long gaps between when God spoke and when we obeyed and what God wanted us to do. Remember that sensitivity to the voice of God in your spirit is cultivated by yielding to God's answers. I found this as a parent that when my, my, my children don't obey me, the more often that they don't obey me, the less sensitive they are to me. The less interested they are in what matters to me. So I think as a child of God, we have to remember that if we're going to cultivate sensitivity to God, we have to be quick to listen to the answers of God and yield to them. Don't miss, it, miss the message God has given you. So when you look in Exodus chapter 4, you know, chapter 3 we would have thought this was over with, but chapter 4 just shows us the struggle that Moses was going through. And God was still doing this because, you know, how many of you think that God quits on you when you just, your first struggle with God? How many of us get there sometimes? Like, oh, I guess God's done with me. Because why? Because something happens in your life that feels like, well, God, why would he allow for this to happen? God spoke to Moses, and yet he still didn't believe. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses said, they will not hear. Chapter 4, verse 10, I am not eloquent. Chapter 4, verse 13, send someone else. Chapter 4, verse 14, and it says, God's anger was kindled. God became angry, and why not? See, this makes sense to me. Because when you look at this, God has given Moses, He's not giving Moses reasons why He can't. He's giving Moses reasons why He can. And while He keeps giving Moses these reasons why He can, Moses keeps giving him reasons why He can't. And He's talking to God on these issues. So at some point we realize that this anger reveals not that God hates you. It reveals that God it sees this as an injustice when we realize so when we realize that we have we are questioning the one who created us as if he can't see the vantage points as if he should go to the next door neighbor when we're facing life struggles and yet he's giving us everything we need. He's given us the keys to life, and yet we still question Him. On what basis? On what basis do we continue to question Him? I've often found that oftentimes we question God on the basis that we made the decision to do something God didn't want us to do. We're suffering as a result of it. Now we're mad at Him because He didn't fix it. But if you'd listened to the Lord and done what He told you to do, you wouldn't be in the mess to start with. So it angers God that we end up entrapped by our own failures, and then we are mad at Him because of that. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And He said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. So one more time, God is reinforcing this, but that's back in chapter 3, verse 14. And what I want to say is this, is that Moses never had to be in, Mo in chapter 4 giving his reasons why God couldn't, because God had already given him what he needed in chapter 3. If you let your weakness determine your destiny, your biggest regret will be on what you missed out on. Finally, I hit something that people are like, yeah. If you let your weakness determine your destiny, your biggest regret will be what you missed out on. You know, I'll say this, I never started my own business, but it wasn't because I didn't think at times, man, I wonder what it would have been like. There's certain professions I never tried. 
I almost missed the opportunity to minister. I almost did. I remember there's, there's a gentleman sitting in here that was a proponent of, and I remember we were, we were downstairs talking about this, and we were talking about um, just before Mike and Michelle had left. And I remember um, I was doubting myself as I always have. I spent most of my time doubting myself, seeing myself as less than. And uh, here I had two guys looking me in the eyes and said, you're the guy. Can't you see that? You're the guy. Can't you see that? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> not really. I can't quite see that because I was possessed with all the knowledge of my weakness. But they, didn't, they looked beyond that and they saw something different. And I could have done that. Let your weakness determine your destiny. If you let your weakness determine your destiny, your biggest regret will be what you missed out on. I would regret what I'm experiencing in this moment. I would have regretted what happened last Sunday at Pastor's Appreciation. A year ago before that, I would have regretted the appreciation of that time. I would have regretted the opportunities to be in some of your homes and lives and actually put my hands to work beyond this pulpit. If you want to know if I care enough, you ask me. If you've got something going on in your home, you ask me. I'll try to be there. I really will. And the only reason I don't make it to your house oftentimes is because there's somebody else that I feel like needs it a little bit more. I would have missed out on my brothers and sisters this year for John just before Sandy died. And I would have missed out on when I couldn't find a way to schedule it and get everybody together. And I couldn't be there myself. I would have missed out on my brothers and sisters going out there and chopping his wood, going out there to care for him. And then, and then God supernaturally, providentially, it was just a week or two ago when he had that stroke, that we had two of the members of our church and some good friends that just happened to be on his property that were not planning to be there that day, but just happened to be there that day. I would have missed out on that. And so many other things. And so when I was looking at from that vantage point, I felt like I couldn't. And then I remember them saying to me, they said, you have six, six months to fulfill the credential requirements. And I had seven classes that I had to fulfill. And I began to feel the crunch. And I remember God said this to me. He said, I had been speaking to you two years ago before this happened to get ready for ministry and you wouldn't do it. And then I remember tear-filled eyes struggling about my own weaknesses. And here I am facing, and I realized this. I couldn't say, the pastor put me in this position. I could say this, I put me in this position. And you know what I found miraculous and amazing to me? That even though it was under a crunch that almost looked impossible, I realized that God took my delays and my gaps, and He still found a way to fill it. But it just was a little bit different than what it could have been. But if we wait too long, we don't get that opportunity. What is God's message? I want to finish with this. I want this one thought. What is God's message? I want you to hear me today. Some of us, the idea of being weak is just foolish. Man, the moment you flex your muscles, come on guys, the moment you flex your muscles, you're like, I can do this. I'm not talking about the things you can do. I'm talking about the things you can't do. The things that you can't hold the, the task to. The things that you're too limited to make sure that can happen. I want you to realize that's the weakness we're talking to. So we're talking full of people that have strengths, but this is and a weakness as well. I want you to hear me. Despite your human weaknesses, God can. Despite your human weaknesses, God can. So when we prayed this morning, when we prayed together, I believed it, and I think that you do too. I believe that when we ask God to do things, that He can. I want you to hear me on this, even though it doesn't happen tomorrow, even though it might be a time before it actually takes place. I want you to put yourself in the, in the hands of God. This morning before we end our service, I want you to put your hands in the life of God. I want you to put your family members in the life of God. In the life of God. I remember a man in Walla Walla, somebody that I cared for deeply. Him and his wife were going through desperate struggles in life. And I remember him. His problem was alcoholism. 
and she would, she would accept him back in and he'd become abuseful and then she would send him back out and she would furnish his house and take care of him and she prayed for them, prayed for him and rather than get a divorce, she went through this over and over and over again. It is not the televangelist that gets my attention. It is that kind of woman that gets my attention. Wow! You keep putting up with that? You keep going through that? But I looked at him and I remember I went down to his room while he was drunk and I asked him after he'd had the legacy of doing fairly good. I said, why? Why? Why did you go back? And this is what he said and it has captured me from this day, from that day to this day. And he said, because I felt good. I felt good and I just had to have a drink because I felt good. And it really got my attention and I've thought about that ever since. And I remember, this was me feeling weak. This was me feeling like I couldn't do anything. I spoke into his life. I saw him ecstatically listen to me, saying, I want God, I want God. And I watched him kind of take a hold and then lose a hold and take a hold and lose a hold. And I saw that failure and faith kind of mixed together. And it was a struggle for me to watch him go through it because I desperately wanted to see him on the other side. I wanted him to be the guy that says, I never have a desire for alcohol. I haven't been drinking for 15 years and it's just going to go on forever. That's the kind of guy I wanted to see. And that wasn't what I was seeing in the moment. But I wanted to invest my life every way I could. And we were staying with some friends of mine. And that morning I woke up. And I was facing my weakness. And I was facing my need for God. For somebody else. And then I say, and he looked at me. And I looked at him. And my heart was broken. But it wasn't a James broken. It was a God broken. It was like I felt... God's heart tugging at mine, saying, I don't want him here. I don't want him messed up like this. And he needs to see it, but he can't because the God of this world has blinded his mind. Satan has blinded his mind. And then here I go. And I, I look at him, and then there he is sitting on his uh, chair in the living room. And I kneel down, and I'm broken, and I'm in tears, and I'm sobbing on his lap. That's not a normal man for you. That's not what men normally do. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a pressure when we love people. There's a pressure that you can't get over because you don't want to see them perish. You don't want to see them consumed with life-ruining habits. And so I felt that that day. And I was struggling because I knew that God could, but I didn't know why it wasn't happening. I didn't know why. And then we would hear at times, even after this event, that she would share with us, Things are good. Things are great. And then we'd hear things are not good. We would hear this over and over again. But one thing I knew is this. Despite what I'm looking at, my only hope is, is that this man will meet God in similar ways that God has met me. And I'm not giving up on him. And I remember I prayed this. I said, Lord, Lord, I'm not, I'm not saying that I despise what you have done because I know you've done much. And I'm not just grateful for what you have. But because this is about your glory, I believe you want to do more. I believe you want to do more. I pack that into this ministry. I pack that feeling into my heart. God packs it inside of me. And I love it when I can pray out with all my might and pray with all my heart because I believe this. God is not just asking for faith. He's waiting for love. Lord, I love them so much. You're putting such love in my heart. I can't help, but I want to see you glorified in their life. And I can't get up off this floor. I can't eat. I can't sleep until I see that they are new because of what you've done. And I think that's the heart of God getting inside of his people. And it doesn't take a televangelist to tell you that. It doesn't take going off to Bible school to get you there. It just takes a human heart that finds its way to God. So despite your weaknesses, God can. God doesn't call you and then leave you to fail. He doesn't leave you to fail unless you decide I'm pushing Him away. God makes conquerors, overcomers, and unleashes promises and miracles to His called out ones who believe Him. Called out ones to those that believe Him. That's me. That's you today. That's us. God wants to unleash miracles. God wants to unleash promises right here in the Word of God. Lord, you said, you promised this. Why isn't it happening? That's the kind of sincerity and genuineness 
that we should come to God with. That's what Sunday's all about. That's what church, every time we come together, should be all about. If there's just but one of us that catches the fire and the flame that says, I'm just intimately passionate for one really important thing in life, and that's to see God get His glory for what He died for, for those He was resurrected for. Jesus made the sacrifice. Why not? Why not? The Lord does not fail. He does not lose. He does. He does not lose the. Uh, he does not lose. Embrace it. Renounce all within you and your nature that does not cling to it. God is able. God is able. As I reflect in just this morning, as our sister was sharing with us, I'm so blessed because I look at this and I was like, my cousin who just needs the Lord in his life. Lord, you just put him in the forefront of some people's prayers because of something tragic that happened to his life because something needs to happen there. And I'm not, there's no, no struggle with the family because we realize somehow God's amazing way of bridging us together and giving us an urgency for somebody's life that we weren't connected to prior or I was, but they weren't, will now begin to have more prayer and more heart and more love added to. See, I think this. We could cheapen the miracle presence of Jesus. We can stop or cheapen it by simply not having extravagant gratefulness for it. We have too many people who want God to just microwave a miracle for us because that's the American mentality. But the, what Jesus is doing is he's giving us an extreme, deep, earnest desire for it so when it happens... You will never quit praising Him for what He's done. Never quit praising Him. Lastly, I'd like to say this. You got me preaching. I can't help it now. I don't know what you did. What did you say that got me preaching this morning? But I think about this. Is there some people that look at my life and part of their praise testimony is what Jesus has done in my life. What God did in me. Because, you know, if you look at it, there was, there was somebody that was on the verge of suicide, and here he is now, right? That's pretty glorious in my book. That's pretty amazing for what God would do in somebody's life. And I'm grateful that he has. And because he's done that, they prayed, they sought the Lord, they stood in the gap. And I want you to hear this from me because God's starting to do this with some, there's been some situations in my life, and I want you to hear this. There's going to be people that God's going to put in your life. That, are, that you're going to struggle because you feel like they should become more quickly committed to Jesus. Or they should run for Jesus faster. I was that way. And I wasn't walking quick with Jesus, but I remember the man who stood there with me. And he saw my weaknesses, but he saw what God was going to do in me. And I love that because God's putting people in your life that can, that can make you struggle at times, but stay with them. Would you please stay with them? Don't give up on them because God's doing something in their life and you just need to do this. Remember this. Deliverance is not in your hands. Deliverance is in God's. All we need to do is stay the course with people long enough till God does it in them. That's all that we need to be there for. And while they're going through that, they need a friend. They need somebody that will be there that I don't give a care what everybody else has said. I don't care what this community says. And you got to hear me on this. God is going to put people in your life that when you go out into this community, they may not have a great reputation. Who gives a care? Right? Who gives a care? Love them anyway. And let them learn what the cross is all about. Because that's all we wanted. I don't want anybody stereotyping. And I don't want my past running into the future possibilities of friendships. I could have. So let's give it up and give them to God. God's going to do a great work among us because we learn to share in His love, which is an incredible love, and it goes beyond human, the human natural tendencies and does something powerful. And the one thing I think God's going to do, He's going to raise up people that are warriors for you. Nobody's going to love you more than the one you love through the trenches. Oh, hear me on that one. If God gives you people that have been in trenches so that when you've loved them out of those trenches, they're going to love you like nobody else has because they know you stuck it out thick and thin with them. Right. Stuck it out. I'd have stories to tell, but I'm not going to because I feel like the Holy Spirit is doing something. 
He's doing something because he's urging something in our hearts that give us this pull. Some of you feel, I'm sure that the Holy Spirit is to feel like, I need to reach out to that person. I never felt it as much as I do right now, but I need to reach out to them. I haven't been reaching out. I need to make a phone call or I need to go to their home. And you're feeling regret, but this is where the Lord's going to end that here. Because as you pray, God's going to give you a touch on your spirit. So we're going to give an opportunity before we enjoy our potluck together and for us to pray together and see what the Lord's going to do. Trust the Lord for the miraculous this morning or this afternoon if it is. Yes, this afternoon, of course. That's how I preach. Let's pray. Let's pray. And I want to invite you to come to the altar. Come up front. If the Lord's touching your heart, we want the Lord to do His, His thing now. We want the Holy Spirit to do His thing. He speaks or He respond. Father, right now, Jesus, thank you for inviting us into your presence. Thank you, Jesus, if you would, Lord, animate me, impassion me, as it were, God, to speak, to cultivate your passion in our hearts this morning. Jesus, some of us, all of us are here interlinked with lives that need us. Lord, that need us to touch their life. And some of us need it for ourselves right now. God, you're the one who helps us secure what we need so that we can be a security to others. And so, Father, right now, before we end our time, I want to pray that for you would work in us. So, church, let's pray. If you don't feel like the Holy Spirit is touching you, he is somebody else, and we need the Holy Spirit to urge them. If you're feeling uncomfortable, I'm still asking you to come up front. Even if you don't you don't know what miracle you're waiting on, and God, need you need a miracle. So, Father, just... Help us today to respond to you. We give you praise. This altar is for miracles. This place, this church is so God. This building is devoted for a miracle for you. And we're going to ask God to give you your miracle. So don't miss that opportunity. Respond. This is your burning bush. This altar is a place up front for you to experience that. And all I'm going to ask you to do is while you're asking God to get in on this, just ask Him in, however you know. Lord, Help me with this relationship. Lord, I want you to help me develop the love, the deep and earnest love to see you grow glorified in this. So let's pray one more time. Come as I'm praying. Come as we sing. God, we just give you the praise right now for what you're going to do, Lord, in these last few minutes. Lord, it only takes an instant and a moment, Father, for a miracle to happen. Lord, and right now in this place, some people are carrying burdens, Lord, beyond our understanding. God, sometimes we're just dealing with things of the past and we forgot about them until this moment. But we needed the healing that only you could bring. We needed the touch of your divine love on our hearts and we can't leave until you touch us. We can't tell you, we can't leave until you take the burden off of our shoulders. And we know that miracle can happen in an instant that we ask. Oh, would you come? Would you come and let the Lord do it as we sing together? Let the Lord do it.